Welcome to the EDM Producer Podcast. This is the show where we interview successful electronic music producers from around the world. We ask them what they're doing in the studio, how they're making their music, talk about their careers, talk about marketing advice and how to get your tracks out there and heard. And that's the whole goal of the show is to help you guys out there make better music, get your tracks out there and get them heard. Now we always have killer producers on the show. This show is no different. Landis is joining us from Miami. Um, killer producer. Now, Landis, did you create um, Miami Bounce? Yeah, I actually, the genre or the track with Chucky? The genre. I, okay, yeah. It was uh, kind of, you know, everyone loving the Melbourne Bounce sound about two years ago. Um, and I kind of wanted to try a little twist of that and just add my own flavor. Um, just, you know, it's a, it's a fun area living in Miami and stuff. So I can imagine. And the Bounce kills it out here. I can imagine that. Well, let me introduce you a little bit more that, that people get to know you. Um, right. So you are based out of Miami, um, which yeah. is pretty close to me. And uh, the scene is probably pretty killer out there. But tell us a little bit more about you and you know what you do, what kind of music you're doing. Well, uh, I'd say I'm known probably more for my electro sound, like the harder stuff. Okay. Um, I've been doing a lot of remixes for the past three years, I'd say. Uh, I, I probably put out a remix a month for about two years. Nice. Um, and then doing originals here and there that had the electro bounce sound as well. Um, now I'm starting to stray a little more into the progressive style and uh, just test my boundaries a bit and see what I can do. I'm glad, man. I'm glad people do that. I'm glad you guys are doing that because yeah, it's you, you, you got to keep it fresh. One. Yeah, exactly. You can get stuck in one genre and then you're classified as that for the rest of your career and... Right. I, don't know, I think it's important to explore everything because you don't know until you try it. It's true. It's, it wouldn't be fun for you or to people listening if you're like forcing yourself yeah. to make the same kind of music. Exactly. It's not like, saying any names here, but you know, <laughs> <some> <laughs> but not. Exactly. Yeah. Well, how did you get started doing this kind of music? Um, I Electronic music? Yes. Producing? Yeah, producing. Well, I, let's see. I've been DJing since I was 13, so it's been a long time doing that. Um, and how old are you now? I'm 23. Gotcha. So when I was 17, I went to Ultra for the first time and was exposed to that entire scene. Yeah. It was way more uh, low-key than it is now. Um, you could actually move around without getting shoved with the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so then I saw, I think it was Pretty Whites was the first artist. I was like, damn, I was in love with Pretty Whites like immediately. Um, and I wanted to started with mashups because I was like, maybe I could become like, uh, who was it at the time? Like Super Mash Bros, guys like that. Right. Girl talk. Um, so I started trying to do mashups and with Ableton. Um, and then I realized that it was all doing like in the original productions and remixes that people really have success. Uh, so I found an Ableton instructor. Uh, he had, actually was in Orlando. And... Uh, I went to college there for freshman year. So it worked out really well because I was just driving 20 minutes from my dorm room to take Ableton lessons and doing that part-time. That had to be more exciting than going to class. Oh yeah. It was uh, rather time consuming. I spent way more nights in my <laughs> dorm room making house music than out at a college bar or something like that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. So it sounds like a a cool way to get into it. I mean, I would say probably about half the guys I interview start off as DJs. Some start off as producers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You mentioned ultra. That's kind of what did it for me as well. It was, I think it was ultra 2012 
and it was like Avicii's la- the last set of the night with Avicii, and I think yeah. Madonna came on the stage. But the music he played in that set, that was like the turning point for me. It got, it, that set got ridiculed, I feel like, for the, an entire month after, right? But then it turned out to be like one of the best albums ever, like all the tracks that he premiered there. Everyone yeah. hated it then, but now. Two years later, they're still playing it. Oh, no, no, that, that was 2013. I remember oh, okay. that. okay, that was, that was the year after. Yeah, that was terrible. I, I remember, I mean, it was terrible how they present, how Ultra presented it live because yeah. they cut off the whole first part of the set. So people thought that, you know, when he brought up all those folk guys and stuff, that was the whole set. Yeah, and they were freaking out. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. I remember that, Matt. Yeah, that was two years back. <laughs> um, my first Ultra, I think, was 2009. So it was a little, and then I went for like three years after that. And, uh, yeah. I've been a couple of years now. Well, that, it, it blew up like in those three years, according to you. I mean, yeah. from what I was watching on YouTube, like you couldn't move. It was packed and you went three years exactly. before. And it was like not even, it's crazy how fast it blew up, isn't it? I know it was insane. Like I remember I was like watching Bass Nectar. I was literally right in front of Bass Nectar. And then three years later, you can't like even penetrate that crowd at all. It's exactly. impossible to get through. Exactly. Cool. So let's get geeky here because that's what the fans seem to like. Um, Let's talk about your studio. Now, you mentioned you use Ableton. I usually like to guess which doll people are using, and I usually guess wrong, so I'm going to stop doing that. But um, You could probably go with Ableton as a safe bet for, I'd say, half the guys. Yeah, probably about half the guys. Half the guys. It's amazing how many people are on FL. Yeah. Yeah, they, they start off with FL, and they just love it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I started with mashups. So, and Ableton was perfect for doing shit like that. Right. Um, and so naturally it just, it went into uh, doing my own productions because I was already on it doing mashups. That makes sense. Especially, yeah. I mean, Ableton is called live. It's great for live. Yeah. So. And I really, I wish, I want to start using that more in my live shows because I'm still on just CDJs. Um, but I want to figure out a live aspect that could really add to my shows. And I think using Ableton and maybe some live instrumentation could be a cool angle. It, well, I think people are really trying to implement that and I don't know how it's going, but yeah, I went on a Holy ship actually, like was a month ago, two months ago. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen Grizz before, you know, Grizz. No. Oh, guys. Unreal. He, uh, I'd say it's more of like a jam band DJ kind of set. And he just plays the saxophone. He plays the saxophone live yeah. while performing. Um, and he also has a guitar player and I just think you could start to see a lot of more, a lot more DJs and producers are starting to use a lot more live instrumentation, uh, just because of the sound it gives, and I don't know, people connect easier with it. I think versus uh, creating stuff using VSTs. I do too. There's something yeah. undeniable about that whole analog feel. Exactly. Well, I guess we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Now, now you so you started out using Ableton. You like it. Um, how? What's your workflow like in Ableton? How would you? How do you write a track? It's different every time. Uh, sometimes it stems from another track and it just keeps going that way where I'll find like one piece. I'll like write a drop, a different drop for a track and then I'll be like, oh, this could be a cool separate project. Um, but when I'm starting just from scratch, I usually start with like a vocal sample to write around or maybe a guitar part or something. Something just to get me going because it's hard to just sit down and just write a melody without anything backing. So I use, uh, you know, Splice. Have you heard of Splice? I've heard of it. My One of my guests talked about it. I did not sign up yet. And I saw it on uh, the things that you should do in 2016 list. that you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. There's like 
endless live samples on there and endless vocal packs to get you started. What is so the just, site exactly for? Um, well, I think originally it was for sharing Ableton projects via like to collaborate online kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um, but now it's just a, you pay like $8 a month and you have a uh, hundred credits to download. Um, I'd say there's probably at least like a hundred sample banks on there that you can go through. Um, and it's, it makes it extremely easy to search for what you want. If you want like a Tom sound or a percussion sound, really? just type in percussion. It, it has the key all lined up and like the tempo. So it, it's really, uh, it's a great tool, I think. Wow. Now does one credit get you one sample or one sample pack? Yeah, no, one sample for one credit. But gotcha. I think they do, uh, like Cashmere released a sample pack on there about a month ago and they did a special where it was just free if you were signed up. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and obviously his percussion sounds and, and stuff like that, it's going to be hard to top. So, right. That's a bonus. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. It's kind of like the first subscription based sample site, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I see it doing really well over the next couple of years because it's just extremely convenient and you're not really going to need more than a hundred samples uh, per month if you're looking for specific sounds. I think that's a good amount. I do too. That sounds fair. Eight bucks. That's nothing. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, could you tell us about some of your favorite pl- uh, production tips? Let's talk about production tips. Um, is there things that you do in Ableton or in your tracks where you're like, man, I learned how to do this. It's if no, if everybody should be doing this, like this is something that really helps my music. Is there any cool production tips you could give us? Let's see. I mean, I'm all about additive EQing, additive and reductive EQing and just kind of because I think every sound has a certain frequency it's trying to uh, go for. Like the lead should have mid, high, not much low in it. So I cut out all the low, I'll boost in the mid range. Um, I, I really think EQing is where you get the majority of a, like a clean sound out of it. Like a really good mix comes from good EQing. I got you. Um, so you I say, say additive EQing. Thing. What do you mean? Add, added Just, frequency I boosting? Boost, yeah, I boost okay. the fuck out of certain certain leads and stuff <laughs> and it'll clip, but as long as it's not clipping in the uh, output channel, then I'm okay. Wow. You know? So I think stuff like that, um, some distortions, like a lot, Ableton has a lot of good stock stuff, like the overdrive distortion Ableton. Yeah. Um, I use that a decent amount. The literally gen- it's called generic compressor <laughs> setting. I'll throw that on there just to, you know, get started. And, um, when I'm auditioning sounds, a lot of times, I'll work with all those uh, like After Effects on there. So I'll have like an overdrive, a compressor, and a reverb maybe on, and then I'll cycle through sounds because it gives it a completely different sound, obviously. That's a gr- that's an interesting tip. Like already having like an effects chain on, yeah. on like you going browsing through samples. Exactly, because you, you hear something that you wouldn't have heard. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Yeah, and then uh, I'd say Kickstart by Nicky Romero for Sidechain is... My go-to is well, it really? to, give it, to give it that bounce feel. And yeah, I bought kickstart and cause I was trying to get off using my compressor to side chain cause it was just a pain yeah. in the ass. But what, the, what, what uh, compressor were you using? I'm just using the stock compressor in studio one, which okay. is, it does a good job. And that I actually, is. you know, I, I kind of went back from kickstart to my compressor because I just finally figured out how to use the compressor really well. Yeah. What but, was, what was the tip that you figured out? Turn all the knobs in your compressor until you figure out what the thing actually freaking does. <laughs> pretty much it. That's pretty much that sums up all of production. Access. It's true. 
Now you said you uh, you know you browse through your when you're searching for a sound you're like browsing through. What type of synths are you using to browse? Like what kind of uh, sounds do you have? Um, I mean, I'm using Serum a lot. Like, uh, but on, honestly, like the sampler in Ableton or Simpler, it's called. Yeah. Um, I'll have the After Effects on there, and then, like I said, I'll I'll just go through Splice. And some of these stock like live sounds, I'll throw in there and see how they sound, like a trumpet sound or something. Um, you know, it's really just it really just depends on the track and how I'm feeling that day. Sometimes I'll go VST, sometimes I'll go audio sample. Um, like I know, like Diora, I think he uses like only samples, right, for his leads and stuff. I've I heard didn't know, that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I heard he just literally records like using his iPhone and then uh, throws it in uh, simpler. Get out of here. Does it that way. Yeah. So you, you can do it both ways. But, um, you know, I think, like I said before, using some live sounds with the After Effects in Ableton um, is a cool way to produce. And I think that's my go to right now. Cool. I wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, I, I would think like you would say, like what everybody says, oh, I use silence. You know? Serum, silence. I mean, obviously, I, I do that for certain sounds, but like the distinct ones that, no one else is making. I think that's when you use some some sample and and uh, do some cool effects afterwards. That's very cool. Now you mentioned Serum on your Facebook page, and what surprised me about when you mentioned it, and I've I've never I don't own Serum, but I've have I tested it? I haven't even tested it. Yeah, you said it's great for clean sounds, and I thought about it, and I'm like, I thought this was supposed to be like the massive killer, like the dubstep growl uh, synth of the future. But when you mentioned clean sounds, I was kind of surprised. Tell, yeah. tell us about what that your experience with that. I mean, I was just like, again, I was cycling through the sound bank there and it could be some of the, the effects I have on afterwards that are making it sound so clean. Um, but I found like, you know, like Merck and Cremont, uh, yeah. like the lead sound that they use, I found like pretty much exactly the lead that they were using. I see. Um, and I was in that obviously is extremely crisp. When I say clean, I mean, just like crisp sounding, full sounding. Yeah. Um, you know, and you could still like when you can mix that with the dirtiness of like a distortion and stuff, that's when you get a really cool, aggressive electro lead, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's, there's some sense that just have a softness to them. That's that kind of, it just, it's not in your face where yeah. it's, it, it's not crisp, like you said. Exactly. And some sense. Some, and Serum, I think has a good mix of both. Wow. I got to check it out. Yeah, you should definitely. And now we're going to take a break in the show for the Gouda audio giveaway of the day. We're giving away the kicker plugin and drummer plugin from Gouda Audio. Peter over there has been gracious enough to give us these to give away for the next eight shows. He's the creator and owner of GoodaAudio.com. Awesome plugins there. One of my favorite synths, Uterpy XL, is there, as well as kicker and drummer. They're just badass plugins for EDM. And the winner for today for the kicker plugin and drummer plugin is Christo Swart. If you sign up for the EDM or hot list under the name Christo Swart, you're the winner. I'll be sending you an email shortly. And if anybody wants to be entered in these contests, now is the time. All you got to do is go to the EDM or hot list at edmmr.com. It's name and email address. There's under 100 people on the list as of this moment. So you have a very high chance of winning. It's totally free. So head on over there and good luck. Now back to the show. Are there any other plugins that you just love that you use a lot? Um, I mean, I was on Spire for a little bit until I discovered Serum. Nexus, obviously the basic ones. Yeah. But um, I really think it's all about, you know, sampling and doing after effects and stuff because everyone's going to have these thousand presets, um, but it's up to you to make it different by doing some stuff afterwards. That makes sense. 
Yeah. Yeah, I got to start using more samples, man. After talking to you, I'm, I, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'll use like all oh, synths, and then your song sounds synthy, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you're yeah. getting me and back. Like into, I said, people yeah. want that live feel. Um, and when you're using a sample, like a live trumpet sound or something like that, it could really give it, give it that emotion. Absolutely. Good tip, man. Glad I'm talking to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, one thing that you reminded me of that as we were talking about this, there's all the, these go-to synths like Serum and Silent and Massive and Nexus. There is a, I stumbled upon this company in KVR Audio. Did you ever go to mm-hmm. KVR Audio? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's called Gouda Audio. And I interviewed um, the developer of it for the plug-in podcast. Okay. You would probably not know about this company. He's a one-man show. He's not like to- f- like fully established and out there like, like crazy. Yeah. But he's got this synth called Uterpy. And uh, it looks just like a plain old synth. But I'm, I'm telling you, man, I can't get enough of this thing. Unreal? He, it's unreal because he's got these things he does with the oscillators. On oscillator three, he's got a little button. It's called O-Snap. Mm-hmm. And basically what it does is it takes a snapshot of whatever the synth is producing at that moment and makes that the oscillator. Oh, wow. I know. So dude. it's endless. It's yeah. endless. And I, I'm having so much fun with it. And then he's like, oh, yeah, and there's a fourth oscillator, too. And I clicked on that. And you could totally draw in your waveform on the fourth oscillator. I'm yeah. like, dude. That's and, sick. And, and this thing's like a $50 plug-in. Oh, man. I'm loving it. I'm getting yeah, crazy. I'll check that something. out for sure. How do you spell it? Euterpe? Yeah, it's E-U-T-E-R-P-E. It's like a Greek god or something like that. I can't remember what he said. Euterpe. But the, <laughs> the, the, the uh, developer is Gouda Audio. And I'm so Unreal. impressed with those plugins, dude. I, I couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm going to try to get him to be a sponsor for the show because I, th- yeah. I love this stuff so much. Has but, he made anything else uh, plugin-wise? Yeah. First? No, he's got one. It's like uh, kind of like Nicky Romero Kick, It's but it's yeah. called Kicker. And okay. it's it's to craft like the perfect kick drum. And it's that's very cool. And oh, then he awesome. built off of that and he made a whole plugin for a whole drum set. So you get all the hats, toms, snares, kick all in one and you craft them all from scratch. Yeah. He's got those three as his main deal. And uh, yeah, yeah, man, man. I, I was impressed by that. It was a good find. I did not expect to find such something so awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. All right, well, let's get back to you. Um, is there anything else in your studio that you really love and like you recommend for people? I know you talked about your headphones, but... Uh, yeah, talk- the Audio-Technicas are awesome. I mean, like the UAD plugins, like I have the Apollo Twin, which comes with some... Some plugins. I mean, it's it's expensive. It's like six hundred bucks, I think. Um, but some of the like it comes with a couple like Poltec EQs and stuff like that. And I'll just throw that on a couple of my tracks, and it just gives it that crispness. That, well, tell uh, me, tell me about that. Like, I have not used any UAD plugins. Yeah, there's all this vintage gear, and these are supposed to be pretty faithful like replications of yeah. them. Tell me, like, what do what do these things sound like? I think they just. It's something to do with how they boost and attenuate at the same time. Um, so it's like boosting, but it's also cutting at the same time, the same frequency. And for some reason, that gives it a really cool sound. I don't really know why, but uh, <laughs> but it, like like you said before, sometimes just twisting knobs and stuff is the best way to discover new things. I got gotcha. you. So, yeah. So I just have been messing around, like most mostly the EQs. Uh, I haven't really messed with the reverb. I think it's pretty good. I use uh, for my main reverb, I've been using Valhalla Room. Yes. Which, yeah, a lot of guys use that. I used to be on Altiverb, but finally got Valhalla a couple weeks ago. And now I've been just using the fuck out of it. Probably a bit too much, but. <laughs> Is it uh, Vintage Verb or Room? Uh, I think I have both. Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
Um, yeah. yeah, when I was testing out reverbs, it was either between Valhalla or the stock reverb in Studio One, and I, I chose the stock reverb. But, How is it? And to me, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. I couldn't get anything better or hear anything better, but I haven't tried vintage ver- verb and I've heard a lot of cool things about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm using vintage. I think I'm using the whole room. Room is sweet, man. It's sharp. It's got like a nice sharp, clear sound. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And doing some after effects, like EQing after it and stuff. Sometimes I'll have a send channel and then I'll EQ the reverb separately from the, from like the lead sound or something like that. Oh, you'll EQ the reverb on your send. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Have you used Shimmer from Valhalla? No, I haven't. Dude, I, sick. It's sick. I I can't. I haven't used it in a year. I can't believe it now that I'm bringing it back up. Yeah. But it's like a a super long chorusy detuned reverb that could basically turn any instrument you have, like anything, into a pad because it's so reverby. Oh my god! It's yeah. beautiful though, man. The sounds you get out of this thing I've never heard before. Yeah, I was just reading an article like that in. Uh... Future Music Magazine yesterday about like creating new sounds using just the reverb tail, just putting the decay all the way up. Right. And then then just sampling that and creating a new sound completely. It's really cool what you can do with that. That is cool. That's a cool magazine too, man. I love Future Music. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of like guys, once they get to a certain level, they stop trying to learn new production techniques, which I think is a mistake because it's a constantly evolving field. So you need to be constantly evolving with it or else your sound will become just another sound in the couple years ago. You know what I mean? Totally. And, you know, even if you're experienced, I mean, I always get, always get something out of that magazine. At least I know what the latest gear is that I should be checking out. Exactly. Computer music is good too. Yeah. Yeah. I mess with them. I have a quite a big portfolio of magazines and (laughs) and such probably. Yeah. I'd say about a hundred of them really stocked up over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Do you I get uh, one like once a month or so? Well, that's the thing. I mean, well, you live in Miami, I'm in Tampa to, yeah. bu- to buy computer music and future music. That's 15 bucks at Barnes. And yeah, Noble. exactly. It is. Do you buy the paper version or do you get like the iPad version? No, I buy the paper version just to have it. I know around with me and stuff just in case, you know? Yeah. There's something about minutes. having that. Yeah. I love it. Cool, man. Glad, glad you brought that up. That's a great tip too. Yeah. Um, all right, you mentioned your headphones. You have an Apollo Twin. How does that thing sound? Oh, uh, it's crisp. It is crisp. I was on the duet for a little while, but uh, it yeah. beats the duet. Yeah, I'd say. Wow. I would say it's something. I mean, I don't understand it fully. If it, I think it's running it through the, like through the console and then back out to you or something like that. And that's why, like the guy uh, I was talking to who I bought it from said that the final output from the Apollo Twin is actually, like, it has an effect on your master for some reason. Weird. I don't really, yeah. But, yeah, some uh, of those interfaces have, like, a, a little mixer kind of built in yeah. for the DSP stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's probably what's doing that effect. Yeah, I got to check that out, man. Good good pick on that. I know a lot of people yeah. are using it these days. Do you know um? Do you know Bobby Osinski? He wrote the Mixing Engineer's Handbook. No, I haven't. I haven't heard of him. He's, he just got an Apollo Twin too. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, there's a good sign. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Man. Is there anything, any other stuff in the studio or production that you want to talk about that we missed? I mean, I know um, you'd like to get I geeky. Mean, yeah. I mean, I really would just say like work with as many uh, like guitar players, trumpet players, saxophone players, bongo players, anything live. Um, it's really cool to record like that. And then 
throw it into your your DAW and mess with it that way, you can create some really cool sounds. Now you're saying players, scratch. meaning like have these guys in your studio? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a couple of people out in LA that I send stuff to. I'll like write a riff and then I'll be like, can you replay this riff for me? And then I'll use that and sample it and creates a lot of cool stuff that you just wouldn't have just trying to create it on your own. It's cool to get other people involved with your projects and really, you know, be a producer in that sense of the word. Absolutely, man. I love that tip. Yeah. I think that's probably where music's going to go because nobody's going to stop playing guitars and such. Exactly. It's always, you know, people will always recognize a guitar sound. Yeah. Um, But like, I don't know if you heard my last release, Trumps, we had a live trumpet player work with us on it and the way the break came out was unreal. Like he wrote some chords for it and then he just played some solo part over the break and then cut it up, added some reverb. It's really fun working that way. Wow. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I saw that there's a Trump, it's on your SoundCloud, but it wasn't you. It was a the it, disco fries edit. Yeah. It was disco. Yeah. Fries yeah. I mean, um, pretty much they did the majority of the drop on that one. Gotcha. The groovier drop. And then, uh, like the trumpet breakdown was from my original, the bounce version I did, um, which I don't know if that will come out or not. I'm still giving it, I'm still pushing for it as a release, but, uh, might be a bit hard. And the other one did pretty well on its own. Yeah. It looks like it's doing well. That's interesting yeah. though. So your, your track won't come out, but the edit will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it works, works that way sometimes, you know, Yeah, that's business funny. side of things. Right. Right. Uh, but you know, I love the disco prize and I'm looking forward to doing some more work with them down the line. Yeah, man. Well, let's talk about that. You, um, seems like you've collaborated and have had support from pretty big names. Yeah. How do you go from like, you know, just picking up Ableton as a noob, writing some tracks, getting good. And then how do you take it to the next level where you meet all these guys and collab? Uh, I'd say persistency via email. Really? (laughs) Probably. Yeah. I mean, you got to do it though. Once your production is sounding really on point and stuff, because a lot of these guys, if they, if you send them something, they'll listen one time and that's the only chance you get. Right. Uh, If they don't like it after that, you're done. So it's important to like, I I'll send probably my tracks to like 10 or 15 different producer friends before I send it out to the big guys that, uh, that I want to sign it or something like that, just to get some feedback and really see what everyone's uh, thinking on it. I see. Um, so it's really important when you do send your emails to these guys that it's a very high quality production. I see. Well, let me start off asking you this. How many years were you producing before you felt like your stuff was on point? Uh, I'd say two, three years. Okay. And then once you write these emails, how do you word it and what kind of, you put a SoundCloud link or what do you, what do you say? Yeah. I say, Hey bro, check out my track. (laughs) Now That's awesome. Now I was, uh, I I probably was like, Hey man, like I, I like to say something personal about them. Like loved your last release. Uh, you know, cause so, so they don't think it's just a blast out email to a thousand guys. Um, it's good to, you know, if you say like one of the productions that you liked that they did recently, then they understand that this is an email directed just towards them. Exactly. Um, so it's important to to do that. And then uh, I just got lucky with a couple of guys um, and just worked that way. So it really, you know, it, when you send enough emails and the track is high quality enough, eventually someone will write back. So I think it's just important to be persistent with uh, high quality music. That makes sense. Now these emails, how do you get their email addresses for the big guys? Do you just, they're posted online or you have to dig for them? It was a combination of, of the two. I'd say like, I would 
look on their Facebook page, look on their SoundCloud for that promo email. Um, obviously, three years ago, they were probably a little less flooded than they are now right. with, uh, with promo emails and right. stuff. Right. Uh, but I tried everything. I did Facebook messaging on there, you know, but you don't want to be too spammy. I probably was a bit too spammy. Um, you can't but, say you know, that because it worked out for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Some guys wrote back, so it works out that way. And then after, you know, a year or so, if they have been listening to you, sometimes I'll just get a guy that never wrote back, eventually writes back like, Hey, love this one. Um, so I think just persistency is important as long as you're not annoying the fuck out of them. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> More or less. Great tips, man. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Has, has there been a challenge in your career so far that, uh, you know, maybe made you want almost want to quit or give up or something that dismayed you? And how did you overcome that? Like, what was one of the barriers you had Let's to face? See. I mean, I, st- I think it's a hard time right now for, for producers in general to get their stuff to the label, uh, to a label like Spinning or Armada yeah, and get it through. I'm still having trouble getting stuff signed. And it, it's really, it's troublesome because the feedback is usually like, this is a little too different for us. Really? But then when you send them something a little too generic, they're saying this is too generic for us. Get out. So it's like, it's really hard to find that in between. Um, so I'm trying to go the route of collabing with some bigger artists and stuff because then you get a bit more uh, name legitimacy and people take you a little more serious when they see your name next to some of the bigger guys. Um, so I'd say the biggest challenge is getting through to labels and uh, not letting their feedback be the end all say all for your track. I got gotcha. you. You know, and just keep pushing because I have friends that have tracks turned down by Armada then a year later will get signed to, our, to another big label right? Um, after they let it sit for a little while and they gain some recognition on their own. I see. So sometimes it's just, you know, it's just how the label's feeling that day. <laughs> so you shouldn't let it get you down too much. You should be, you know, confident. If you're getting t- nine out of 10 people saying it's a solid track, then it's probably a solid track and the label is just not receptive at the time. Right. Great advice. Yeah. Now you talked about kind of building yourself up through collabs and such. How do you go from just emailing somebody out of the blue and saying, essentially, check out this track to actually collabing with these big names? Because you have done that. Yeah. I mean, it probably took five or six tracks for them to be like, let's do this one together. Got so it. again, it's just being persistent and having enough material. Um, and eventually they'll hopefully find something that they like uh, in the production. And then you'll just work from there. Nice. So, yeah, I'd say that's the main way uh, my, most of my collabs have happened. It's just probably on like the fifth or sixth track I send up. They're like, all right, I'm digging this one. Let's try and do something together on it. Gotcha. I guess the key also is to have five or six tracks that kick ass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how do you, are, how are you able to crank out these tracks? You just got into such a groove because you produced so much or? Yeah, I, uh, I probably am a little overly obsessed with production. I'd say I spend five hours a day. Uh, working in the studio. So it, you know, it's just putting the time in. And uh, obviously, you don't want it to sound like you just forced it out in a week. Um, so sometimes I'll make a track in in a week, like done, but then I'll go back on it two weeks later and then be like, okay, here's what's wrong with the mix. You know, I'd say the refining process takes a month after you get the entire track down. Um, so even though I'm banging out tracks in a week, 
uh, it still takes a month or so to complete the entire track. Right. That's fine. And get that little things, the little things that are important. The details. That's the tough yeah. part. Yeah. And that's what separates a lot of the big guys from, from smaller ones. It's just putting like those little fine details, those fills, those, you know, just little things that most people don't think to do or don't have the patience for. Right. The patience. That's true. Yeah. They just want to get on with another track. Exactly. They get bored of it. Yeah, like I'll sit in Bob Evans and write like four tracks in half an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I like producing in in public as well. I like to go to like Starbucks stuff like that, and just you know, since being on Miami, also go out to the beach area. It's cool to to see where you can produce produce and how it affects your music. I know, isn't that amazing? Like we could do that anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. Laptop. Although I just had my. My hard drive just failed last week. I think I mentioned that to you before we did this interview. Yeah, I saw uh, that also on your Facebook. It looked pretty scary. I'm starting to think it was from having my laptop in the sand a bit too much or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> maybe the sun. Man, yeah, maybe the sun damage, probably. Let's blame it on that. But or you also heat. mentioned you took it to the Geek Squad and other big stores. Yeah, and they I took it. Never, take, never go there. Never go exactly. there. Exactly. Never again. <laughs> um, I ended up... Like I called Mac, I was on with Mac support for about 45 minutes, uh, them like trying to tell me over the phone what to do. Uh, and then eventually I asked for like a place that wasn't an Apple store that they could recommend. Um, and there's some, there's some places that are under Apple warranty. So if you have an Apple computer, you could still go there and get it fixed. Yes. Uh, you're still under the warranty. And they recommended this place called OneClick. And it was open on a Sunday, which I loved, obviously, because right. I was trying to get it just back as soon as possible. Um, and they fixed it in a day. Like they went actually physically into the hard drive and did some stuff. Um, and like services like Geek Squad or the actual Apple uh, stores will send your disk out to a disk repair service and it costs like 600 bucks or something right, like that. Right. So, you know, always they, look for places that you wouldn't expect. Like, Definitely, especially for that. Did, did they recover? Able to recover all your data? Yeah, everything. Nice. I mean, I had backed up probably three weeks prior, so I wasn't stressing too hard. But right. there was still like three or four tracks that I had done in that time period um, that I really didn't want to lose. So that's why I was really freaking out about it. Um, and yeah, it seems like they got everything. I'm still. I think the real core problem was I upgraded my. Uh, to my OSX to El Capitan. Yep. From like, uh, I'm trying to think what I had before, but I just messed up everything. My old version of Ableton wasn't working with it. It was constantly crashing. So that was the core, like the root of the problem. But uh, I think it's all resolved now. So fingers crossed. Good, man. Now, are you backing up to the cloud, I hope? Yeah. Yeah. I just started doing that now <laughs> because I'm like, I cannot have that happen again. Yeah. I actually switched over to PC and I'm, I'm backing up with OneDrive. Yeah. But, um, I, uh, I used to own a computer repair shop in Philly for years. So I know oh. all about the geek squad and I'll tell you what, man, they, they were the best thing that ever happened to me, the geek squad, because people would go to Best Buy, have a horrible experience and, and then, then go look for somebody it. else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely I knew more than the Geek Squad guy. I was like, all right, this is not <laughs> this is not helpful. I know, uh, I know, man. Tell me about they, it. They suggested that I upgrade my RAM, and uh, <laughs> didn't help at all. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let me ask you this before we end off. All right. What is the uh, one of the best moments you've had so far in your career? I love asking this. Where get people get you know 
get you guys to think of a time where you just thought things couldn't get any better. It was like the most amazing that it happened to you so far in your career. Do you yeah. have a moment like that that sticks out? Um, I'd say the last time I played in Sweden, probably three or four months ago. Uh, and it was a, like a headlining gig. Um, Adrian Lux was playing as well. And they, I had a really, really good set time, like after Adrian and stuff, which yeah. I thought was unreal. Um, just a sold out crowd and just one of the best sets of my life by far. And I was testing out new music and stuff that I haven't played out before and really seeing everyone loving the reaction. So that, you know, I'd say that probably stands out as the highlight. Nice. Can you tell us about it? Like what it felt like when you were up there and like what, what you were I feeling mean, and experiencing? It is such an adrenaline rush. I can't even explain it. Like you kind of, I don't, I don't want to say blackout, but I don't really remember most of my sets <laughs> as cheesy as that sounds. It's just, I really, you know, I couldn't put, I couldn't tell you which uh, track I played first or, you know, halfway through. It's just kind of, you just kind of get into it and feel the vibe of the crowd. Um, so it's just a, yeah, it's a complete adrenaline rush. Wow. That sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. Good job on pulling that off. Yeah, man. I think, uh, they're bringing me back in March for another Sweden tour. For some reason they're, they're loving the bounce out there. Nice. Yeah. Bounce is awesome. Some Swedish bounce. You can't not like bounce. I know, man. It's yeah, it's a fun genre. Yeah. Um, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing that, but I'm also going to work with some other styles as well, just to see what I can do. Sure. Sure. How about, um, marketing? We'll do one more of these questions. What, what piece of advice can you give people who are out there producing and wanting to get their tracks heard? What have you found is the best way to get your music out there and get it heard? I mean, it used to be blogs, like blogs could help blow a track up. Yeah. I think that's kind of dying out a bit. Um, there's still a couple that will help get the track a lot of recognition, but uh, getting solid uh, radio support and DJ support obviously is a huge help. Like if you have hardware on air support or anything like that, uh, that can blow a track up. And then also getting help people to repost on SoundCloud um, is, a, is a great way. You know, and if you can get like to be trending on SoundCloud or something like that, I think it's all about streaming now. So if you can get your track on Spotify or streaming on SoundCloud, that's a really good way to get your stuff out there. I see. Cool, man. Thanks for that advice. Yeah. So I saw also that you're offering like private mentoring um, for producers out there. Can you tell us about that and what, what that's all about? Yeah. I mean, I realized I've been getting so many demos over the past couple of years um, and I give pretty extensive feedback. So I thought it might be a little more helpful if I sat down with some of these guys and uh, via Skype and we just went over their track piece by piece, um, you know, and obviously working on Skype, it's easy for me. And I think it really helps some of the guys that are trying to get their sound to the next level. There's certain mixing and mastering techniques that you just can't pick up from a tutorial video. Right. Um, so I think it really helps to just go in depth with someone who's been producing for about six years like me. Wow. And it works out over Skype good, huh? You guys can hear each other and everything? Yeah. 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 I usually, I have them send me a wave of the track before we start the session. Um, and then maybe in the middle of the session also, I'll have them send me a wave uh, so I can hear how it's sounding so far. Um, but uh, like I said before, there's some, you know, there's some mixing stuff that a lot of the producers that have been doing it for two years or so, they all get uh, wrong. Like a lot of like low end stuff or cutting certain frequencies. So I can, you know, just by seeing the EQ curve, I can help in that way. Wow. And you will work with anybody on this? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
just, yeah, as long as they have some basic knowledge of production, right. um, you know, it's, it's great to work that way. How can people sign up for that? Uh, you can email me at landisbooking at gmail.com. And I usually get back within a day or so. Wow, man. Uh, yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. I love guys who want to teach as well as do. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that, like I said before, you can't really uh, get some of this knowledge without having someone uh, literally tell it to you. Yeah. So I think as far as you can go with tutorial videos and stuff like that, it really helps. Perfect, man. You guys got to take him up on that offer. Yeah. And what's one final tip or piece of advice you could give to the guys who are listening before we end off? Work with live instrumentation all the time. <laughs> Good, every, man. Every That's... track, try it out and see where it goes. And if it, uh, if it fails, so be it. But you might still use that sample down the line. Awesome. So lastly, where can people find out more about you and hear all your music? Um, I'd say my SoundCloud is probably the best way to hear what I've got. Uh, which is soundcloud.com slash Landis official. Everything is Landis official, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, Instagram. Um, and Facebook, I'll post a lot of previews of new stuff I'm working on. And I, I like to get a lot of feedback from, from my fans. Like a lot of times I'll do these drop one, drop two videos where uh, I let people kind of decide where, where they think I should take the track. And it's fun to work that way and see what people are thinking. That's awesome. So they get, yeah. they could get a little piece of the control. Exactly. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. Awesome, man. Well, I want you to know from you doing this, you're going to help a lot of people with this interview. It's awesome, man. Yeah. I really appreciate you doing this. Of course, man. Yeah. It's fun talking to you. I like, uh, like I said, talking about production with the people you can is pretty fun because everyone around you has no idea what the fuck you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the reasons I started this show. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again to Landis and anyone who's listening. Let's uh, let's make sure you go over to edmr.com. That's edmmr.com. Sign up for our hot list. That basically puts you in our email list. So every time we release a show, you'll be notified. Um, every time we do a contest, you'll be notified. We have the mastering show, the plug-in podcast, this show, and the sound design show. It's seamless, all on the network. So there's a wealth of information over there. So definitely go check it out. That's going to be it for the EDM Producer Podcast for today. See you next time.